Hello and welcome back to Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Stephen, your host. Today we are joined by Dr. Jade Norris. She is a family medicine physician and practices in Las Vegas, Nevada. She is the founder and owner of Inspire Primary Care, and she's here to share her journey into medicine and some of the amazing paths her career has taken her since. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here. Awesome. I was look, looking over your, your bio on your amazing website. I got a uh, step by website game up, but it looks like you are a Las Vegas native. Yes, I am. I'm from Las Vegas. My goal was to come back to my hometown and open up my uh, practice in my hometown. I did my training in Illinois and California. And so after over a decade of training, I'm excited to be here. And we've been open about a year and a half. And it's just my childhood dream come true, having my practice in my hometown. That's incredible because I know when I was like applying to medical school, there is this push and it's like, oh, if we get people from their communities and we train them, they're going to go back. And I was like, that's crazy. I just want to get to medical school and we'll see where I end up. But I've been meeting so many people that it it is absolutely a fact that we do want to go back and practice in our communities. And and I'm full circle as well back in a community that I spent some time training in. So it's, it's good to see. Absolutely. I thought I would want to stay in California where I did residency, but man, it's nothing like being home. And um, I'm so excited to be back in Vegas. So yes, it is a pleasure and an honor. Yeah. So for this podcast, I'll start at the beginning. Talk about growing up in Las Vegas, anything, any, well, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Had to say that at least once this episode, but you know, how was it growing up and then what ultimately led you to pursue a career in healthcare? Yeah, so I was actually, I say I'm from Vegas, but I was actually born in Chicago. We moved to Las Vegas when I was eight. And so at around four years old is when I started telling everybody I was going to be a doctor when I grew up. And, you know, it was started out at the little brown girl on the south side of Chicago. And most people thought that was pretty unrealistic or they thought that was a cute goal. Uh, Many people, my first preschool teacher actually tried to talk me out of being a doctor, told me, you know, some other choices that she thought was more realistic for Hmm. a girl like me. And and I kind of used that as fuel uh, because that was what God showed me I was meant to do and called to do. And so I just never wavered from that dream through high school. That was my goal. I put myself in positions where I could shadow doctors and volunteer at the hospital and labor and delivery, uh, which transitioned to going into biology pre-med. And from there, it just continued to grow that desire and continued to be confirmed that it was what I was called to do. Came with many struggles and setbacks, (laughs) but, but it was indeed what I was called to do. So I was excited about that. But I always wanted to do it since I was a little girl. And you went to college at uh, University of Los- University of Nevada? Yes. I, yep. I went to UNLV for undergrad. And what did you study? So I started off, I really loved chemistry. So I started off as a chemistry major. But, you know, once we get in, we find out how long things <laughs> take. And so they told me it would take five years if I did to finish, if I did a chemistry degree, and it'd take four years and they were both pre-med track if I did biology as a major. So I ended up switching as a biology major. And that's what I finished is biology pre-professional or pre-med before transitioning to medical school. Yeah. And I didn't realize kind of reading your bio that you had history in in Chicago. I did a lot of my training in Chicago on the South side. So it's incredible. You went back to Illinois, at least for medical school. What, What took you there? 
Yes, very interesting. So after what I learned once I transitioned to college, high school was super easy for me. I didn't think about it straight A's, no problem, right? But then I transitioned to college and I realized that a key skill I needed, I hadn't mastered yet. And that was the skill of standardized test taking. Mm -hmm. Of course, your listeners know that that's a key skill that we need. So I took the MCAT that first time and I bombed it. And they told me, you're not going to get into any medical school in the country. No one's going to take you with a score this low. And so that led me to looking into alternative programs that could still help me to transition eventually into medical school. And that led me to learning about medical post-baccalaureate programs. And at the time, there were about six in the country. And the one that everyone said was the best in the country was called MedPrep at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois. And they actually have the first application cycle of all the programs. So hmm. I applied there and I was accepted there. And so it was a two-year program that I did that helped you to study. It was like a boot camp, like an MCAT boot camp. And they helped you to study for the MCAT and prepare for medical school. And, and so that's how I ended up back in Illinois. And then I was blessed with a full-ride scholarship wow. to SIU's medical school, which is what kept me in Illinois. Yeah, because keep I me wanted in Illinois. to get out of Illinois. <laughs> yeah, that, that kept me there for, for the rest of medical school, too. That's fantastic. And if I recall, I think SIU has kind of, they send you around the state for some of your, your clinicals or, or how is that set up? Yeah. So the med prep program, the post-baccalaureate program, that's in Carbondale, Illinois. And then the medical school though is interesting. It's a split campus, not ideal, but however, they do the first year of medical school in Carbondale. And then the second, third, and fourth year of medical school is in Springfield, Illinois in, at the Capitol. And so that's very interesting. And then yes, there are some rotations like third year rotations where you're different rotations may be in different parts of Illinois. So a very diverse experience for sure. Speaking of diverse, so let, let's zoom in on, 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 on some of this because having lived in Illinois, Chicago, Carbondale and Springfield, how diverse are those cities? Okay. That was a good segue because they are... <laughs> There is still, so it was a culture shock. Let me just start yeah. there. Being from Las Vegas, it's a very truly diverse, melting pot, multicultural, high Spanish speaking population, just a melting pot of culture. So that's what I grew up in. And so when I moved to Carbondale, and in my mind, I hadn't really done a Google search like that where I understood the difference between Carbondale and Chicago. All right. Yeah. Huge difference. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, oh, Carbondale, maybe it's like a suburb of Chicago. No, it is not. And so it's very Southern and very rural. And I had never lived in a rural town. And so when I flew there to interview, I was shocked. I was surrounded by cornfields and Confederate flags. I had never even mm. seen a Confederate flag in real life. And I was like, oh, people actually fly these. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so it was a whole different experience. And it was very segregated. Many of, of course, there were very few melanated classmates, over 200 medical students, maybe five or so of us were uh, of color. And so it and, it and most of them would say things like they those students got here because of uh, affirmative action or, you know, things like that. And so it was very segregated and it was an experience. It definitely gave me what I needed to survive anything else that life <laughs> threw at me. Yeah, for sure. And, and I want to highlight that because there's there's comfort. Right. And to get to where we want to be, sometimes you have to leave those comfort zones and you had this amazing, incredible opportunity 
which ultimately ended up in a free ride scholarship. But you had to set your comfort aside. And, it, and the difference between comfort and safety, uh, you know, if something's not safe, that you have to, you know, protect your neck. You got to be, you got to be safe first. But sometimes, especially for students, whether you're you're pre med applying to medical school, you're applying to residency, and you're looking at, you know, you want to be at a diverse location, you want to be in a big city, you want to be at the Howards, the Morehouses, but we all can't go to Howard and Morehouse and Meharry. And sometimes looking at this as an opportunity, and you may have to step outside your comfort zone to get to where you ultimately want to be. Absolutely. If someone had told me I would have been in Carbondale and Springfield, Illinois for seven years total, I would have laughed at them. Like I was <laughs> praying for California. And so I was like, I prayed for California. I got Carbondale, but you do what you have to do. Absolutely. I left my comfort zone and it was worth the sacrifice because now I am where I want to be and what I dreamed of being, but the path looked different than I imagined. So yes, being flexible through the journey is essential. Yeah. And when did you decide on a career in family medicine? Yeah, that's a great question because I always thought I wanted to be an OBGYN. And that's because as a young woman in my 20s and teens, I didn't have a primary care doctor growing up. We used our my OBGYN for my primary care, you know, for my annual visits with her. She would just order my annual lab work. So I wasn't familiar with the field of family medicine and primary care. And so I shadowed my OBGYN who had a private practice and, and my experience with her was in her clinic. So I really enjoyed that. And I loved the women's health aspect. I volunteered at the labor and delivery in undergrad. So I was thinking, I went into medical school thinking, I'm going to be an OBGYN. That was really the only experience I had had until my third year of medical school on the rotations where I really got to experience all that an OBGYN does and how surgical heavy their profession really is. And I realized I don't like surgery at all. And I realized I really love the clinic and I really love the women's health, but more so the preventive care and helping my patients prevent a reverse chronic disease. I really got frustrated during all of the medical school lectures where we would talk about each chronic disease and have that epidemiology slide where they break the different diseases <laughs> down by race. Yeah. And almost every preventable chronic disease, Blacks, were number one. And I was so angry about that. And God told me, well, then do something about it. And I found that for me to be able to do something about it, it was going to be in primary care. And I just fell in love with preventive medicine, lifestyle medicine. And now I'm also certified in obesity medicine. So it's all kind of come together. And most of my women are, most of my patients are busy professional women. So I still do so much women's health. And so third year of medical school is where I really figured it out that primary, that family medicine in particular was the area I was called to serve in. That's fantastic. And such a huge area. You can make so much uh, of a difference and change people's lives. This took you back where you wanted to be in the first place. So California, you were at Loma Linda for residency. How was that experience? I absolutely loved my experience at Loma Linda. So I, I knew my goal was to go to Southern California at some point in my medical journey. I knew I would eventually permanently be in Las Vegas, but I, I felt like uh, if I could just get a little bit of my journey in California, that was a goal of mine. And so when I applied to a lot of different California residency programs, however, Loma Linda was special because at that point in my medical journey, I knew that I, I wanted to do preventative medicine and lifestyle medicine. I had been exposed to that 
area of primary care. And they were very unique that Loma Linda is in a blue zone, which it means that it's the, some of the people who live the longest in the world live in Loma Linda. <laughs> they are a Christian university and I'm a woman of faith. So that was important to me. And part of the training, they would uh, teach us how to pray with patients. So there was a spiritual aspect to it. And then they also had built into the family medicine curriculum, the preventative and lifestyle medicine curriculum as well. So we finished with the training of both traditional primary care and preventive and lifestyle medicine. So I didn't have to go get additional certifications in that after training. So it it had all of those things built into one program that is made it so, so, so special. So when I matched there, I was just so thankful. You said something I, I, I'd heard of before blue zone. I thought it was a political thing. What, what is this? (laughs) <laughs> no, so blue zones are, I think, don't quote me, but there's about six or seven of them in the world. And it is the places in the world where people have lived and continuously lived the longest. <laughs> and most of that is based on their lifestyle. And so Loma Linda is the one place in the United States that is one of the world's blue zone. And that is because Loma Linda is a is a Christian a denomination of Christianity where they are vegetarian. So the hospital is a vegetarian hospital. They eat primarily plant-based and they live the longest. Because I've heard some stories about Loma Linda. So, so I'm, I'm very glad, one, you had a very positive experience, especially I heard it's very faith-based. I didn't know they were vegetarian. So like you can't order chicken noodle soup in the hospital. There is no meat in their hospitals. Wow. Yeah. And then I heard there's no caffeine or coffee. That's true. Yeah, there's no caffeine and no meat in the hospitals. I don't think there's really any other restrictions. I mean, you might go on the hospital floors and see people like brewing, like the nurses brewing a coffee pot, but they don't sell any caffeine. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah, I heard stories like 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 you can't bring coffee. So you can have coffee. They just don't provide that. Exactly. It's, it's okay. Exactly. The whole thing is they don't sell it. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not so bad. So you you left. And how far is Loma Linda from Las Vegas? It's about a four, four and a half hour drive. Three and a half, depending on how fast you're going to (laughs) drive. So so at the end of your residency training, you knew already you were going to, I guess, when did you decide that you're officially moving back to Las Vegas? That was always the goal. In medical school, I knew at that point, after being in Illinois for seven years, and just being away from family and having that experience of continuously flying home for holidays and flying away and not being able to see your family again in person until the next holiday, I knew I was going to go back. And just with my parents and grandparents aging, all my family is here in Las Vegas. It was it became the goal in, in medical school. And how soon after residency did you start your private practice? So I actually started my practice straight from residency. So that's pretty unique. And and it's been an exciting journey. So I had my first baby intern year of residency, Ava. And then I was pregnant at graduation of residency. And so I had my second baby, Aaliyah, December after residency. So I took a little, I had a little extra time to finish residency, maybe three months because of my maternity leave from having Ava. So I finished residency September of 2021. I had baby Aaliyah December of 2021. And then I opened my medical practice when she was less than eight weeks old, February 1st of 2022. So just, you know, pop the babies out, open the practice. That's kind of how that went. You know, every time I talk to women in medicine, I am 
floored by the things that you all do and accomplish. Thank wow. you. Which also leads to this next question. So you're in residency. People are looking for jobs, right? They're like, oh, I'm in my last year. I'm going to sign with this group. You were figuring out how to open a practice. That's right. So during my childhood dream was to have my own practice, right? But in medicine, in medical school, they kind of teach us that it's not something that can be done because insurance companies have, you know, monopolized this whole thing and bought yeah. up all the old practices. So I kind of put that dream to the side. And so residency, I was talking to one of my attendings and she was asking me what I wanted to do after. And I was telling her, I want to be a community doctor. I'd love to have my own practice. I really want my patients to have easy access with me and to not be rushed. And she said, it sounds like you want to do direct primary care. And I was like, what's that? So I had never heard of that. So that just led me to really having the time in residency to learn about pri uh, direct primary care, to look at all, to binge all of the direct primary care content that was available, YouTube, et cetera. Luckily, the, one of the blessings of COVID was that the national conferences were virtual mm. and residents were able to attend for free. So while I was on night shifts, I'm looking at all the conferences for free. I started following all the other direct primary care doctors on Instagram that also did their practices straight from residency and they like became my mentors. So I'm like creating business plans while other people are signing contracts. And wow. the first thing was like getting my husband on board because he's waited like seven years at this point for me to get a job. <laughs> and I'm like, no, let me just open a business instead. But once he was on board, we just really strategized it. And I did urgent care on the side while the practice grew. And so, you know, we had a strategy to it that allowed us to do it debt-free, uh, which is amazing to have a debt-free medical practice that's profitable straight from residency. So tell us about Inspire Primary Care. Yes. So we are a direct primary care or membership medical practice. What's that, what that means is that we do not bill insurance in the primary care office at all. It's like Netflix for movies, gym memberships, Costco, but we do a membership in the primary care office. So it's unlimited primary care for a flat monthly or annual membership. I have a primary care membership. And then if my patients want to utilize my obesity medicine weight loss services, then we have a medical weight loss membership for an upgrade. So it's exciting. My patients all have my cell phone number. They directly text me during business hours. They can email me whenever they want. They self-schedule their appointments, video, phone, or in I take a much smaller patient based primary care doctor has about 3000 or more patients. I take a maximum of 250 patients wow. and we're almost, we're about over halfway full at this point. So it's really exciting. It really simplifies medicine. It's kind of like that old school medicine, but with the twist of adding technology in there, it's a better lifestyle for the doctor and it's a better quality of care for the patients. And where are you located or, or where do your, where are you accepting patients from? Yes. Yeah, so I am licensed in the state of Nevada. So anyone in the state of Nevada can see me as long as they establish care. I have some patients who live here part time, you know, part of the year. But if they establish care with me in Nevada, then then that's fine. But yeah, anyone in Nevada, Las Vegas area. And how do they get a hold of you? So through my website at inspireprimarycare.com, we do all of our enrollment through there. We have a big enroll button shaped like the Las Vegas sign right at the top of the <laughs> website. 
It's inspireprimarycare.com. No I in front of inspire. And I do also do coaching for physicians that are interested, especially physicians interested in opening straight from training. I do coach and help other people open debt-free medical practices as well that are interested in this model. It's incredible. We'll definitely include a link in the uh, the show notes. Your second uh, direct primary care person have had Dr. Kim Rogers. She has a practice in Philadelphia. So it's incredible yeah. to see so many people, so many young people. I say young like I'm old, but my peers getting out there, being entrepreneurs and and starting these these companies. So I'm I'm so excited to see where Inspire goes in the next couple of years. It is exciting. And it's such a blessing that we're able to do this now. And we have the choice. I, we have a very small community that's tight knit. So I'm familiar with Dr. Rogers and, <laughs> and we're very supportive. So if, if any of your listeners are interested in this kind of care or learning more, they can always reach out on social medias. I'm at Dr. Jade MD. I'm happy to, to just jump on a call and answer any questions as well. From the last, you said almost a year and a half that you've been in practice. What is, I guess, one of the highlights? The highlights is oh, two things. Okay. The first highlight is my quality of life being hmm. so amazing. I've traveled. I'm heading out on vacation next week with my husband for our anniversary. We just came back from a cruise. I'm able to serve my patients from anywhere. Like I'm in the office right now, but I only have one appointment, one blood pressure check in the appointment right after this call. After that, I'm going home at 1 p.m. Okay. Uh, taking my last few calls of the day are going to be, my patients scheduled them as video calls. So it's just so much flexibility. Uh, I have total control over my schedule. The only downside is you have to wait and have that patience while your patient panel grows, right? But once it's established, it it really is so such a great quality of life. But you don't hear that a lot from doctors, which so I feel like the joy that was kind of sucked out of my soul, <laughs> trying to grind through 30 plus people within 10 minutes, that's been totally reversed. And then the second part of that is really being able to care for people the way I hoped I would be able to as a child. I've yeah. been able to help my patients transition to a healthier weight, reverse type 2 diabetes, reverse high cholesterol, decrease their blood pressure, transition off of CPAPs, transition off safely off of medications. I mean, I just feel like I'm doing doing what I'm called to do. And so it feels really, really good. Well, Dr. Norris, I have to ask the obesity part of your practice because I got a lot of a lot of friends jumping into obesity medicine these days with what is it that the Ozempic and we go, you're not riding a wave. You're one of the OG, like you have training, like what's the difference between folks that are doing these injections versus what you do? Yeah. So I like, I like to talk about this a lot. So there is a difference between a weight loss clinic, right? A weight loss clinic or a med spa and a primary care practice where we help our patients to transition to a healthier weight by utilizing FDA-approved medications for weight loss. So when we think about obesity, it's important for us to destigmatize it and realize that obesity is a chronic disease and it's a multifactorial chronic disease. And so when we think about it through that lens, then we're able to say, okay, just like we wouldn't judge a person with high blood pressure for requiring medications while also working on the things within their control, the lifestyle, yeah. et cetera, but there are some genetic components for some people where they will struggle with weight, even when they're honing in on eating healthy, working out. Although those things are important, which is what I do in my practice with our wellness visits and wellness plans, 
the amazing tools that we have now to add to patients that it's appropriate to. So a big difference is weight loss clinics, they're not going to do all the blood work to make sure there's not a metabolic or a medical Hmm. diagnosis like hypothyroidism before they're, you know, before they're prescribing a medication. They're going to say hello, take your money, give you the shot, send you on your way. Versus in my practice, we are a primary care practice first. We onboard all of our patients like primary care members. I am establishing that care as their doctor. I'm screening for their metabolic and common medical diseases that could be associated with weight gain first. And then we discuss the wellness plan. And then we discuss adding, Hmm. expediting those results with tools like GLP-1 agonists, such as Ozempic, Wegovy, and my favorite off-label at this time, Manjaro. Okay. I saw you started smiling when I started talking about the, the weight loss. So I shouldn't hang my, my shingle, Doc B. Red's weight loss clinic, huh? You can, but you know, I just tell people it's just a difference. And, and I also tell people that the shot is not one size fit all. So mm. if someone just gives you a shot, there is actual, there's a strategy behind it. So the person that's prescribing it should be trained in obesity medicine because the way we prescribe it in the weight loss phase is different from how we prescribe it in the weight maintenance phase. And we want to safely progress the weight loss in a way that won't cause side effects or will minimize side effects. So so there's a strategy to it, and that's going to be different than just going to a weight loss clinic. Yeah, I, I saw in the news recently, I guess there's some people that have some gastroparesis. It's a side effect. And I, I seems like, I mean, these medications have been used for a while with certain indications, and now it's starting to become more mainstream. What are any thoughts on, I don't know if you've seen that, I think it was like five or six patients that were in the starting a lawsuit that they had this complication of gastroparesis. Had you heard about that or any thoughts? I have. I have. And so, you know, these medications work at the gut. So nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation are the most common side effects, but a less common side effect is gastroparesis because they work at the gut. Now, if a patient, if a, if a provider is progressing the dosage too fast, Hmm. then that could cause that. But just like any medication, we have to weigh the risks and benefits. And so this isn't a one size fit all. It doesn't mean everyone who's obese and overweight should automatically go to a GLP-1 agonist, which is why it's so important to really assess all of the aspects of what's contributing to the difficulties with weight for that individual. And for a lot of people that have really been struggling and feel like they've tried everything, their next solution for themselves is gastric bypass and looking at Hmm. surgical or bariatric procedures. And so using this first could be a really helpful tool before patients just jumping straight into uh, a surgical procedure. And so with all of those risks, benefits, you've got to talk through talk it through with your doctor, but absolutely side effects with every medication are, are a possibility. Fantastic. And I'm going to spread the word. I, I've been working on this podcast. Like I want to do more like relevant information that's like in the news, you know, like viral content, if you will. But no, one of the things as an anesthesiologist with these medications, we've been very concerned about gastric emptying. So we have these fasting criteria before your surgery, eight hours without any food. But these medications have come in as a game changer because we'll get people that have fasted for, you know, since midnight, even, you know, 12 hours and still have food in their bellies. So the American Society of Anesthesiologists are putting out some guidelines at the uh, Anesthesiology Patient Safety Foundation as well, that there's specific timing on when these medications should be held prior to a surgical procedure. So if you or anybody you know is taking these medications, if you're a surgeon or anesthesia resident and you have patients, you know, just keep an eye on, you should be screening for some of these questions like, hey, are you taking 
these medications because they may still have a significant amount of food in their stomachs. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm glad that some guidelines around that are coming out because, you know, we, it's the art of medicine. We can kind of create our own guidelines if there aren't guidelines. So in my my practice, when my patients have surgeries coming up, we just discontinue them a month before their scheduled mm. surgery. But of course, some surgeries are emergent and we don't always yeah. have you know things scheduled, but it's going to be very helpful to have guidelines around that. I love that. And as an, an actual obesity trained physician, like you, you've got everything kind of squared away. So I love that. I try to. It's, it's, you can tell. I love this. I really love this because the preventing and reversing chronic disease, that's what it's about. Because if I don't want to do sick care, I want to do health care. And when elevated weight is tied to almost every chronic disease, I can't ignore that. So it, it became an essential to my style of practice. Fantastic. Well, I certainly appreciate you coming on the show. If you are looking for a primary care physician and you're located in Nevada, please visit the, the website inspireprimarycare.com. That's, there's no I, so it's just the N, inspireprimarycare.com. Dr. Norris seems absolutely phenomenal. As we start to wrap up, I'm like, I got to have like a, a question to end these episodes, you know, like like all these legit podcasters. So the question I've come up with and been asking it and been having some pretty incredible answers. I like to know what has inspired you recently? There's so many things that inspire me recently. I think one of the things is my children and just seeing them grow up in my practice. They call it our business. And so my four-year-old Ava, she calls it Inspimary Care. She can't say Inspire (laughs) Primary Care. So she always says, are you going to see our patients? And and mommy, how was your day? How how are Uh our patients doing? And so it's just so wonderful to see that being their norm and seeing them just grow up in the business and seeing and her asking me, when can I take over the business? And and so it's just great. I don't force being a doctor on them at all, whatever they're called to do. But it's so nice to see them have a totally different mindset around entrepreneurship and for that to be their norm. So that's been a blessing to me. It's beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Black Doctors Podcast. Thank you for listening. And again, definitely check out the show notes where you can find links to Dr. Norris's socials as well as her private practice. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And we are here because representation matters. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs>